0: packs plenty of snacks for any road trip we might go upon sure canned corned and beef jerky are decent if an odd start to that but i don't know can't we get some like peanut m&ms going amanda or maybe f- flavored pretzels those are my i'm the sucker for those
1: Ooh, flavored pretzels for sure <laughs> yeah yeah any
0: other road trip snacks i'm, I'm forgetting some major ones
1: Hmm, I like the um, for something sweet because sometimes, like at the when I'm driving and I need like that sugar rush, I I mm-hmm. eat those um, the nerd the soft nerds the Whoa. soft and chewy nerds.
0: Wow, yeah, I hadn't thought about nerds in a long time. That's a flashback food for me. That's a nostalgia food. <laughs> Pixie sticks are my
1: nostalgia. Yeah, food. <laughs> that are those dipping
0: sticks. Dipping sticks remind oh, me of yeah. summertime at a pool or something. Did you ever yeah, go yeah. to a place in the summertime that would freeze or refrigerate Charleston chews?
1: No, I don't even know what that is.
0: Okay. It wouldn't even be worth explaining. It's like a massive, really, it's like a footlong taffy chocolatey candy. It's like a sweet chocolate. They also came in other flavors anyway, but if you freeze them, they really firm up. So you can kind of just, you almost treat them like a, I don't know, like a popsicle or something at that point. They last forever. Anyway, not Ooh. great for a road trip. I'll say that. <laughs> Not great at all. If you have no idea why we're spending the first fifteen minutes of the episode brainstorming road trip foods, <laughs> that is because you have stumbled on a book club episode for the gunslinger by Stephen King. Um if you're unfamiliar with our podcast, welcome. We'll be discussing that book today. We are, as I mentioned, the lightly literary podcast. I am joined as always by my co host Amanda. Hey Amanda. Hello. Hope you're enjoying some nerds on your end. I really want to um, I'm
1: having some lemonade.
0: okay that's i mean you know that can be close enough i I should make a joke about the podcast and book club nerds but i just won't that's low-hanging fruit you Uh, know yeah i won't mm -hmm. do it i won't do it Good
1: call good call (laughs) if as i
0: mentioned you've never listened to the podcast before welcome we do have social media accounts you can follow at facebook and instagram we are at the lightly literary podcast all one word so follow us there that's where we do updates on what we're reading and what books are happening and when the episodes post and all that stuff also like and review us on whatever podcast platform you're on right now or if you're on our website i guess don't do that but somehow you found our website (laughs) unsure how that would be possible but you know internet sleuths are out there okay it's possible Mm -hmm. anyway we appreciate that as always and tell your friends and family anyone who loves books we'd love to have you along for the ride If you've never listened before, this is, again, as I mentioned, a book club episode on a novel called The Gunslinger by Stephen King. Specifically, we'll be discussing and even spoiling the first half of that book today, and we'll discuss that in a second. Book club episodes are our spoiler-filled, analytical, deep-dive episodes, so if you're either unbothered by spoilers or you've read that part of the book or the whole book, then you are definitely in the right place. This book, Amanda, I will admit to you right now... In front of the listeners, Andy, yourself, I literally couldn't remember who even picked this book. I, thought, I think it's you, right?
1: I did, yes. <laughs> okay, because I
0: looked back and I was like, well, I picked my favorite thing as monsters, which we just did. Those episodes are in the mm-hmm. feed, podcast feed. And so, yeah, I assumed, but I know that I reacted well to Stephen King because I had chosen King before. So before we get into the book or talk about what we'll be discussing, why don't we just set up our pick here and why we chose it? I believe the prompt I gave you to pick this book was pick something from an author we've already covered?
1: No, it was um, anything science fiction
0: or fantasy. Oh, cool. I keep pushing you into that territory, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess sci-fi or fantasy. This is our first official then foray, though Hardboiled Boiled Wonderland fits the bill. Mm-hmm. And so why'd you pick it? What's What was the choice about?
1: Well, I knew that you had enjoyed... Um... The novellas of Stephen King that we did mm-hmm. and you hadn't um, read any of his actual like novel novels right um, but you said that you might be interested so I thought I'd push you into it Yep. Um, by choosing a Stephen King novel and I chose Gunslinger because um, it's the like the the big work right for him right. like the entire series and so um, especially Like if you like this series, if you go back and like read some of his other novels, the other novels, um, there's like discussions um, from other people about how his other novels are tied into the series in different ways and stuff like that. Gotcha. um, Yeah, it's a, I thought that I had read this like a long time ago, back when I was in middle school. Mm -hmm, So it's been, you know, forever ago. Yeah, that's, (laughs) yeah. I don't want to say how long ago, but.
0: (laughs) Essentially a new book you. Yeah,
1: exactly. I I don't remember anything about this book except for The Man in Black. Um and I remember right. that the main character's name was Roland and yeah, um yeah. and that there was a lot of like, for me, is, there's images in my mind for the book, but that's it. Like, I don't I don't remember the plot or anything like that. I just remember specific images, gotcha. like certain images in my mind I, I associate with the
0: book. Fascinating. And a great pick yeah. for that reason. Not, nothing wrong with revisiting an oldie. I think at this point we've established our preferences in that regard. I don't revisit yeah. things. And you have a tendency to, or not even a tendency, but you're more open to it. I'm pretty closed mm-hmm. off in that way. So, yeah, an excellent pick then. And just to be clear, before we dive in and start discussing things and and spoiling things we are going to cover the first half of this book today and i believe is it do you want to call them sections or parts
1: i called them parts parts there's I don't know. they in mine they're
0: <laughs> called chapters but yeah we can call them parts um we, we will be covering the first two parts because in both of our editions that is about halfway so chapter yeah. one the gunslinger chapter two the way station that's what we'll be kind of discussing spoiling so if you're spoiler averse that's what we'll be continuing to discuss today we always um, split our book club episodes into two so if you look at the feed next friday that's when we'll have part two and we'll have finished the whole book by then and be discussing the whole thing so without further ado anything else up front amanda before we dive in Nope, I'm ready. Excellent. Let's find out what's up with Roland and the Man in Black. Let's um, start with some fill-in-the-blanks. This is how we like to begin our fiction book clubs. We each have prepared a fill-in-the-blank for one another to respond to. Amanda, why don't you start off with mine? I wrote down for my fill-in-the-blank. If I could ask the gunslinger, whose name is apparently Roland, which you only learn pretty late into the book, right? Maybe 100 pages in or something. Anyway, Mm -hmm. if you could ask Roland one question, it would be blank. And then, Why? Um, I would ask where he gets
1: and stores his ammunition, because mm. that whole scene in Tull like where are the bullets coming from? Yeah, and yeah. did he loot the town afterwards to get more ammunition? Does he just carry around like a crap ton of ammunition? Right, and like he has to like have unless it's magic, right? Um, right. and just right. another like side question: Did did Roland take back the two gold pieces after like? He left it on the counter for Alice for, mm-hmm. like, when he was leaving, and then, like, he murders the entire town, and then he goes back. Does he take the gold pieces back? And That just, doesn't seem... I'm th- just really yeah. curious about his supplies, I guess.
0: <laughs> no, because everything else is in such short supply, and he almost dies in the desert. So it's clear right. that the world is resource-strapped, and that part of this journey for him is... You know, he's going to be hard up for supplies and it's going to be difficult to manage. His one traveling companion dies, the donkey, or was it a mule?
1: Yeah, I, I think it was a mule. Yeah, well, a mule. yeah,
0: and so that thing. So it's just clear that it's part of this world's barrenness is affecting him and his journey. Right, he can't easily catch up because it's not like he has a nice horse to ride or something. He's just kind of roughing it. Yeah, the the currency thing doesn't seem to matter to him at all. Him or the man in black? Because doesn't the man in black also give a, a silver piece and say just keep the change?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's so, interesting that he's yeah. got silver whereas Roland has gold.
0: Yeah, perhaps an important distinction later in the book for some reason. Who knows what that signifies? It's a great question, though. And I'm not even sure that the scene when he murders, uh, there's a tally at the end, which I thought was kind of crass or something, but where he murders the whole town, basically. It does not clarify. There's a lot of vague, really, I guess, kind of. I was going to say flimsy, but I think the writing's fine. But it does kind of paper over the action. It says things often like he worked his hand trick or like he he did what he knew to do. Or, you know, there's just kind of these very sandpapered descriptions that kind of just move through the action. And so I have Mm -hmm. no clue how he did it. I'm not sure the technicalities of it or something there, there was one passage that I'll maybe I'll try and pull up later where I feel like there's a pretty long description of the, his finger mechanics that he can kind of like flick the bullets through his fingers quickly. And he has some sort of really delicate finger movement, but I I don't know if that explains fully where the bullets come from.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's obviously well-trained. Like Mm he, there's calluses on the tips of his fingers from reloading the burning sensation from like reloading constantly, but which I thought was a great description. Yeah. But I'm like, but but where are the bullets? (laughs) Where where is he storing them? Where, Where are they coming from? Where is he pulling these? Like, how is he reloading? Where is it? being pulled from in order to reload right right. so i'm just yeah i'm curious about that
0: (laughs) from his back pocket no yeah who knows (laughs) yeah it's just a giant wand like yeah he can't sit down because of it of course it's like an old 1990s (laughs) wallet or something but he so he can't sit down but he can reload amply enough to kill like 50 people (laughs) yeah exactly so plenty of bullets um Yeah, my question for him would be simpler, I think, but more elemental to the story even. How do you know the man in black? Like, when did you meet or have you ever met him before? Do you just know him Mm -hmm. by reputation? Like it... It would. I guess I don't want to keep asking questions and spoil my own fill-in-the-blank, but it would just be, how do you know this person? It's obviously the core mystery of the story thus far. It's starting to stack more and more mysteries, I think, atop uh, each other. But that is kind of the relationship, and I don't see any connection between them. Given the most recent childhood flashback, though, maybe it'll dig into that. Maybe he'll show up in that part of the story, but that's got to be my question for him so far. I
1: wonder too, has he
0: even actually met Right the Man in Black? Right. Like is it yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a good question
0: yeah how does he even know for certain who he's chasing? I mean, it's yeah. obviously it's all pretty mum so far. the book is purposely opens in obscurities, so we'll see if yeah. that ends up becoming clear but that would it would be obviously be my question. I don't even think this book's gonna answer it frankly like i <laughs> I have this written down as a note later, but I'll just say it now. I don't think I've encountered a series opening book because this book is the first in a series of I think seven or eight books um and I should have mentioned this at the start of the pod, but we really. We'll happily dive into the start of a series, but we will, I guarantee you, never do any other books in a series ever because we always want the episodes to stand alone. We want any reader to come in and be like, I'm just looking for a new read. Let me pick up a book. So there's like 0% chance for the podcast that we continue on with this one or any other series. Anyway, I just felt like I should say that up front, but I'm happy to start a series. And this feels like maybe one of the most obscure built for a long period stories lot I've encountered in a long time. Like I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. none of these questions get answered by the end of this book. <laughs> this book doesn't seem interested in answering those questions. Yep. So, who knows what will happen. And what was your fill in the blank?
1: Uh, mine was, um, if I were to describe myself in some way with a positive that might surprise others the way yeah. that Roland describes himself as a romantic, I would say I'm blank because blank.
0: Sure. I'll take this one first, I suppose. Yeah. I it's this is a tough one because I don't know to whom the audience would be. So for example, maybe the two that I could pull out that would surprise people I know casually well would be introverted or maybe even like neurotic or anxious. I just feel like because when I meet new people or something, I'm pretty like, I know how to be sociable and I like being sociable. And I, I think it's, you know, I like being in social situations and at events or I don't know, meeting people even whatever. But I, I just think that maybe those things, it's like, you know, your public persona versus your private persona or something like that, or your private self Mm -hmm. rather. And so maybe those two would jump out to me, but I feel like if I know you even a little bit, well, then those things might not be i don't know the most shocking who knows i think the superficial answer for me here would be someone who plays a lot of video games like cuz i feel like in adult conversation that hobby just never comes up i don't know if it's an unspoken thing among adults to be a little embarrassed by it or something i'm really not embarrassed by that hobby i think I've, I've enjoyed video games my whole life and assume i will continue to do so but it's just not mm-hmm. something that i would ever bring up I would never go out of my way to open that conversation with another adult who I don't know. You know what I mean? So yeah. that might be the most superficial answer would just be like, yeah, I'm a gamer. Also, that word is just so odd. It it does feel a little childish or something. There's something about that yeah. noun feels strangely... Um, I guess like arrested development to me or something like you just it's I don't know something about that feels tra- trapped in time. Um, well, that's
1: because when we say the word game, we immediately like think of of childhood. Oh yeah, and stuff like that. I think yeah.
0: so. Yeah. Yeah, and I just there's something about our age group too, where I think I think if I met someone our age, I would reference a game casually, expecting them to know it. But it's still mm-hmm. not quite like movies or something or TV where I'd feel extremely comfortable just saying to them, like, oh, you haven't seen that show? Like, watch that show. I don't – I just feel like gaming is a more – I think it's a more time-consuming hobby. So I just don't assume people play games as a baseline for some reason. But anyway, mm-hmm. that would be a more superficial answer. How about for you?
1: Um, For me – uh, I guess I would describe myself as a refurbisher or an upcycler. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's like a hobby of mine that not too many people know about. <clears throat> um, and it's something that I got into like a few years ago. But it's nice. it's one of my my favorite ways to kind of de-stress. And I'm, I'm super introverted. And I think anybody who meets me for the first time would be able to tell because I'm also like super shy. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, like the the way that i i would sometimes kind of like hold myself away for like a week and just mm-hmm. like not answer the phone not leave or anything like that and i would just work right. on painting furniture or um like going to the flea market and like buying something that's old and just kind of like painting something onto it to make it look fresher and stuff like that like it's something that i really enjoy and that i think makes like makes it so that i don't feel as stressed out during the day
0: (laughs) well it's good to have a project too or just to be able to concretely put a mark in this in this world (laughs) have have some you know (laughs) way to feel like you've yeah created had a motive of creation those things feel good yeah hopefully the podcast makes you feel that way you know recharged or something it does there you go we'll take any compliments we can get even from ourselves high five to Amanda over the airwaves (laughs) holding up holding up my left hand in the air for you um no that's great I think that's a really good pick and yeah I would say I don't know these days I feel like DIYer is a big thing but yeah no I I think that's a great pick too are you finding um DIYing a condo satisfying
1: <laughs> that's uh it is like when i have the end results so like i've i've finished except for the floors i have finished the bedroom um and finishing that one room i'm like oh yeah and that motivates me to continue the rest so the demo mm-hmm. is done and now i'm just putting things back together more stylishly
0: <laughs> yeah that's excellent that's excellent okay well i want i want to expand on that tangent i didn't want to I don't want to reveal your private life to the public, but I just thought that was funny you (laughs) describing that and then me knowing. (laughs) Anyway, I was just like, yeah, well, hopefully you're still finding the joy. (laughs) I am. Find that bliss. Yeah, excellent.
1: And it's also physical work, which I usually don't do. Mm -hmm. So... That's, that's a nice, a nice thing. change. My body is not as happy with me at the moment, but in the end, it will be.
0: <laughs> I, too... All right, this is the final thing on this tangent, I swear. But I, too, when I was teaching, I found doing some work with my uncle in the summer that was very physical, and it was physical more than mental, right? I found it mm-hmm. very... Oh, not soothing, but like rewarding or something. That yeah. and that's just such an odd perspective because obviously it's like I'm not I'm not going to go become a landscaper tomorrow or so you know it's not right. that's what I'm asking for. But there's a certain satisfaction to it. All right, sure. with our romantic notions of life out of the way, <laughs> our most romantic <laughs> idealized versions of ourselves. Let's move on to some surprises, pleasant <laughs> or otherwise. The segment kind of explains itself, but we're going to each talk through any surprises that we found in in reading the book so far. I'll go first. I feel like I was make you do so i'll I'll jump in here i've got a couple down i don't even know if they're pleasant or otherwise i think these are kind of dead neutral because sometimes it's for the better sometimes for the worse i really didn't think it would be quite as experimental as it is and let's talk structure first because i think there's a couple of ways you could interpret experimental I I didn't think the scope would be so jumpy. I mean, obviously, flashbacks are a big part of storytelling, but this story was comfortable doing one that was many pages long, you know, like chapters Mm -hmm. long. Then there's also... So there's the flashback to Tull, which is a flashback. Then he goes inside of the kid's mind for a kind of flashback, and then also after that, he goes back to his own childhood, the gunslinger, and I just... Those things jump around so much that you really have to be on it a little bit, and I think overall it's felt cohesive enough I I mean I think I know what's going on roughly speaking but it's Mm -hmm. it all felt a little more scattered and experimental and I think I mean I'm accustomed to reading fantasy and sci-fi so the terminology didn't throw me as much as maybe someone else would get thrown though it did at some point there was some word in there it was like ca or psi. they were using really short little clipped words Yeah, yeah and I just thought I really thought a couple of those times that I missed something and i did do a quick double take of like that's brief enough or it seems like slang should they have it should i know what that is and i just didn't know and so between the language and really it was the structure though, i didn't i didn't know it would be so risk-taking didn't think it would be so comfortable you know playing with the order and kind of just throwing you in there expecting you to pick up on those things and so it, mm-hmm. that has surprised me i think mostly for the good i don't think any of those moments have seemed odd the Jacob Dream Sequence flashback it does raise a ton of new questions, obviously, <laughs> since it's clearly mm-hmm. he was just living in New York City, and this book very much is not in New York City or America, pr- presumably. So yeah, that does obviously raise a bunch of new questions, but yeah, that's my first surprise.
1: Yeah, the um, the timeline is definitely a bit wonky, but also just people's sense of time in general in this book yes, is, is right, wonky. Right. So they they mention like, oh, it could have been like two, three, ten weeks ago. I don't know, and like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just there's no sense of time within that world. Of course. And when you mentioned um, the calf or whatever, when he was talking about. Um, I think the 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 word you're thinking of is when he was talking about like watching himself be thirsty and not caring versus like feeling the thirst, mm-hmm. yeah, as he's walking, yeah, so he is like only at level five out of eight of the kef or the k or whatever it was. yeah, right, right. yeah, I took that to to be like, oh, I think that's gonna be something that will come back to maybe later. Uh, when we delve into his past more
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: Um, so it's meant to be kind of like thrown out there as like a teaser as something to like kind of remember for later I
0: think a lot of those a lot of teasers I was thinking of when they, they call him sometimes SAI or they'll add it to the end of a word Unless I'm just, mm. unless it's a word I should already know in English or something. But I, they kept saying something and then sigh, S-A-I or say And I was just like, huh. Also on page 130, I was thinking of this, the Ka. Yeah, the C-A. Because it says, except perhaps the road to the tower, there Ka might show its true face. So is Ka just another name for the man in black or something? And there's, that's what I was referring to on my page 130. So it's. It's just been a little thing and there it's dropped in colloquially enough and that it's it's. I know that there hasn't been a lore dump, you know, it's like there's not some paragraph I'm missing <laughs> that just explained a chunk of the world. It's it's very passive world building so far.
1: That's funny. I don't I don't think that I remember seeing that in, in my reading
0: check um check your final page literally the page before the next section the oracle in the mountains Mm -hmm. that that's where it occurs it's the second to last paragraph and it just yeah it says except perhaps the road to the tower there ka might show its true face uh
1: second to last no yeah or just the says mine says there are quests and roads that lead ever onward and all of them end in the same place upon the killing ground except perhaps the road to the tower period Then the next paragraph, the boy, the sacrifice. Wow, I literally have a
0: sentence in here that yours does not have.
1: Yeah, What, what edition is yours?
0: I have no clue. It's a hardback edition, and it must be pretty new because it was printed after that Idris Elba adaptation from like two or three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've stumbled upon something have, we like, did not the original, intend. Original, I think. Yeah, this is definitely unintended. I think in the front there was there were a couple of forwards and stuff that I skipped. I never like reading that stuff because a lot of the times it's spoiler heavy or it, it speaks yeah. to experienced readers rather than new people. So I always uh-huh. skip that stuff. So maybe I yeah, maybe he said something like I added in some bits or I sprinkled in some details or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely not because. Yeah. The other word, like ending in "sai," I was like, I have not seen that at all in this book. I
0: don't think. I feel like that's I'm something to pick up on. We might build in an edit here because let me get, try and go find one quick. Though we might have to go silent for a while. I'll edit that. I, fa- I found one. It's, it's, it's in those moments. Okay. This is probably where I'll just recut into the pod. So welcome back, <laughs> dear listeners who did not have to hear us fumble, me fumbling around. It's on my page 27, the side the reference we've been trying to dig up. And he is speaking to the man who had gone around the room of madness. He's speaking in the high speech of Gilead is what it says. He's speaking to the man who's resurrected from the dead mm mm-hmm. and he says to him on mine when they first meet uh it, there's some narration he's a dead man he should have been dead a, uh, a year ago and on the heels of that the man in black did this they're staring at each other and then he says again quote he spoke and the gunslinger dumbfounded heard himself addressed in the high speech of gilead and the dialogue is the the gold for a favor gunslinger sigh just one for a pretty the high speech. For a moment, his mind refused to track it. It had been years, gods, centuries, and millenniums. There were no more high speech. He was the last, the last gunslinger. And then the others all were dot, dot, dot. And then, of course, it obscures some information because that's how this book rolls. But it does. Yeah. Mine says the gold for a favor gunslinger hyphen S-A-I gunslinger sigh. And they also. yeah, And, and yeah.
1: you said also that it he it, it said heard himself addressed in the high speech of Gilead. Yeah. Yeah. That part isn't even in there for me. Mine says heard himself addressed in the high speech and then it goes into
0: This. One, yeah, the this... gold
1: for a favor gunslinger, just one for a pretty and that was it.
0: Yeah, it's this seems like we've stumbled upon something really unintentional. We did not anticipate doing any King scholarship ever, <laughs> or any scholarship on any episode we've ever done, frankly. We just like our analysis. But yeah, I think mine must have just been an updated, revised version where he, it's honestly probably like many series, now that he knows how it ended, or now that he knows what references matter, yada yada, he probably just went in and made some things clearer, and just made some references a little tighter and made things a little more coherent or something yeah so yeah it's gunslinger sigh high speech of gilead
1: interesting yeah Yeah, i knew that the high speech was different from others and it was related to gunslingers but i didn't know that it was of gilead so that's interesting did
0: you get the reference or did you get the flashback to his childhood when they had that man hung Yes. Okay. Thank God. I was like, man, did I? Because that's the only thing <laughs> that filled me in a little bit of what Gilead was like or, you know, where mm-hmm. they came from or what his... So I was like, okay, because that... that to me cleared up a good number of my questions was just, you know, how is he raised? What's going on in this world? Et cetera. So... I guess my surprise runs deeper than we anticipated. This might be the longest part one we've ever done. <laughs> I had no idea we'd stumbled upon such a difference. Anyway, to, just to summarize this or something, but I, those moments to me, and I still think they might work for you, but it does have a sense of world building, but it's very patient and very slow. And it, it's mm-hmm. definitely not going to stop and explain itself, which I think for the most part works in its favor, but it was, it has been surprising just how experimental it's been. Yeah. How about for you?
1: Um, for me, I was surprised by how much like a Western this Mm -hmm. book is so far. Like this is not a, a normal, not, I don't want to say normal, but it's not what I've encountered a lot in his other novels. Um, and it's not to say that I don't like it because when I'm doing my refurbishing and stuff like that, actually, one of the things that I love to do is also watch spaghetti Westerns as I do it. So... Western vibe does not bother me at all. Um, <laughs> right, right. But it's like a, a sci-fi western in some ways. Um, but um, I, I guess I really shouldn't be that surprised by by how much of it he follows a lot of like western uh, tropes. Right. Uh, with Roland, I think. I mean, Roland's character is almost a trope, right?
0: <laughs> like, pretty much. The, the pretty silent
1: much. and yeah, loner type, mm-hmm. and amazing with guns, and just like automatic with the guns, and not even like thinking. And duty bound um, seems honor bound. Yeah, duty bound, honor bound. Um, and then even the the references to like almost the medieval fantasy childhood that he had yeah um even that follows like a couple of of tropes almost in in his remembrances of his childhood as well yeah so not to say that they're bad i'm enjoying it um i think that it's going to play out well in the end just because i have faith in stephen king's writing so yeah for sure Um, i think it'll work out
0: in the end Of course. And I, the Western it is uh, right now. It is just a Western. I mean, it's got some oddities, obviously there's some time manipulation happening and there's definitely some strange, you know, afterlife or multiverse or some kind of odd combination of worlds here quite clearly, but it is Mm -hmm. just a straight up Western. It's a guy rolls into a town. It's rough. It's rough situations. It's, you know, having to ward off a bar fight, having to kill, you know, out of... On- There's arguments the about religion. <laughs> yeah, that maybe a bit, went a bit far. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, bellying up to the bar and getting some food and just like, you know, getting heckled by the locals or whatever, getting knife attacked. Falling in love with the bar maiden All the classics, you know, all yeah. the classics having, putting up his mule somewhere with like this strange fan. I don't know. It's, it's definitely just a Western so far. Obviously now that they head to the mountains and with the introduction of Jacob or is it Jake or Jacob, Jake, Jake. Okay. That is changing things quite a bit, I think, but yeah, it opens as just a Western with, with strange mm-hmm. vocab <laughs> as we've uncovered. Yeah. Let's talk about my other surprise briefly, but I, we kind of covered it already, or at least I dug into it a little I just think that this book has an odd cadence, especially in its dialogue. The way that some idioms come in and out, like modern American idioms, but then sometimes the illusions make no sense and the context is strange. It just has such a strange ebb and flow and it's maybe supposed to feel out of time and alienating. And if that's the case, then it's working for sure. I mean, you know, help me man, Jesus, but, or whatever they, what they call him, man, Jesus, mm-hmm. Jesus, man. And so it's just, yeah. <laughs> there's just enough sprinkling of of earth of America specifically to Make things cohere, and then as soon as they say something like man Jesus, then they'll say, in Gilead, sigh, and you know, Ka and I'm like, w- but what? <laughs> uh, who yeah. And in what combination is this world? Um, probably the time it jumped out the most to me was when he's talking to the um, thin red-haired man, straggly red guy, farmer guy, and his bird is there. His bird is named Zoltan, which is a strange reference. We won't even really unpack a weird illusion. And Zoltan (laughs) says to him, gosh, what does the bird say? Like sit, not sit on it. He says some kind of joke to him. Do you remember the joke that Zoltan says over and over again?
1: I don't remember the joke now. Yeah,
0: he said, but, but it's I some. Zoltan. It's definitely idiomatic, though. The bird, you know, kind of mumbles something that's almost like a. There's no way you would be saying this in some other universe or something. It's just so strange, and you know, there's also well, there's another exchange in their dialogue, and he says. Let me just read this exchange briefly. Set my watch and warrant on it, and I killed a man that was touched by God, the gunslinger said. Only it wasn't God. It was the man with the rabbit up his sleeve, the man in black. So, okay, rabbit up his sleeve, strange. I know he literally pulled one out. He had laid a trap. You say true, I say thank you. And then they look at, like, that's such a strange expression. I say thank you, you say tr- uh, It almost feels Western to me, but then there's other references that are not. And so I just don't know what to make of some of it. It's it's like you've said, probably intentionally, a very strange combination of time and place, and references that sometimes cohere and sometimes don't. So it does feel pretty. Western. Yeah, I think.
1: Yeah, I think the um, so along with like the the play with time throughout the novel as well. I think that the the play on what kind of world this is. Roland obviously is like not familiar with this world either which is why he doesn't know what's at the end mm-hmm. of the desert. He's like, he walks into these towns, but he's not familiar. And he talks right. about his his past, which seems pretty idyllic. Like there was no mention of like the barrenness that is this world. Um, so it's the, the displacement, I think, is, is not just with time, but I think also with the sense of location and mm-hmm. the desert just, the, the sand in his eyes, the sun in his eyes and and just how confusing all of that is and how he constantly has to be on his toes I think that's yeah kind of amps it up a lot
0: and he seemed pretty content to die there. Especially yeah. when he stumbles upon Jacob or is it I just, yeah, I already forgot. <laughs> this is how my just brain Jake. is with names. <laughs> <laughs> when he stumbles upon Jake, it almost seems like he'd be content to die there. He also at another point makes a reference and says, I think this is the afterlife or something. You know, where do yeah. we go when we die? It says, I think we're already there. So, yeah. you know, truly displacement, right? All over the place. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's dive into some deeper analysis Then let's talk about some motifs that matter. This is the more analytical part of the episode where we each pick out a motif, some kind of important literary element that's speaking to us and try and talk it through. Amanda, why don't you start us off with your motif? Yeah, mine
1: is uh, the most obvious, I feel like, which is um, mm. religion and morality. Mm-hmm. I mean, the entire toll scene was just based on the idea that the man in black is, is meant to be like a godlike figure. And then he creates right. this fanaticism, uh, through a preacher, the, mm-hmm. that he, uh, impregnates with what she believes is an angel. Um, oh, it so always there's ends. that always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's also like, uh, the discussion of like the crucifix scene where, um, Nort, like either Nort, hammered himself up on the crucifix i don't know he couldn't have right like somebody hammered him up on the crucifix up above the bar um at some point and when and then um roland takes him down so there's that image there's um jake when he first sees the man in black he thinks he looks like a priest um oh yeah the, the discussion with brown about the afterlife and and then jake also saying that he had died in new york yeah pretty clearly appears here and grizzly in this world yeah and um zoltan at some point um, starts like reciting the lord's prayer or something like that yeah yeah um and um one of the descriptions that roland has as he's walking across the desert is that it's like purgatory the, right. the sense that he gets is, is that it's like a purgatory. So I thought that was interesting. And then even when he were in the flashback to his childhood, he says the hawk is God's gunslinger. So there's still a sense of like a, a, the Christian religion is obviously in there too. Right. Maybe. Right. Um, but also his dad is talking to him after um, Roland tells him about the, the chef. What was the chef's name? Hacks? Hack?
0: Hacks, I think, is what I went with. But yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and his dad says to him, that is worthy, not moral, but it is not your place to be moral. In fact, morals may always be beyond you. So um, I thought that was interesting, especially in contrast to like all the religious uh, everything, <laughs> everything yeah, is so yeah. religious in here yeah. but then also his dad tells him that like morality is not going to be like his his strong suit <laughs> um but that it's a good thing for roland so i thought that might play out a little bit more um throughout the book as well especially since like if if the christian morals are like tied in to this image of like the man in black too and and the Mm -hmm. horrific things that he's like forcing Roland to do it's yeah I think that's an interesting play that we'll see
0: and it's messing with some religious typical imagery and associations I mean we don't associate priests or anything with black right we don't associate that's traditionally not a religious at least in the Christian background a strong religious color that you would associate with angels or anything like that at least in a yeah in a traditional sense also there is the man in black who has demonstrably done magical deeds he resurrected someone it's a very jesus-like yeah. thing to do mm-hmm. right so it, yeah. it is raising some questions about and of course the story could be obscuring this well we of course are following our narrator main character however you want to phrase it and we assume that he is on some just mission but who's who's to say of course it could be that the man in black is doing some kind of noble thing he didn't murder a town after all
1: nope he did not but he also (laughs) like there was definitely a sense of madness with him right oh yeah resurrected nord it was like yeah yeah. the people were overcome with hysteria Mm -hmm. which was
0: super oh really weird scene oh yeah that was uh, we'll get to that later in my please continue but i thought that worked well in terms of just making him an off-putting yeah unknowably powerful creepy force just kind of him oh yeah for sure jumping over his yeah jumping over him and looming over him and everything yeah mm-hmm. it is fascinating well i wonder what kind of yeah. uh, revelations they'll get in the mountains then can you think of any quick religious connections to mountains my background is mostly with Christian stuff and I don't, Mine I don't, I mean, too. you come down from the mountain. There's that famous, isn't that what Moses did, right? He went to get the commandments on a mountain. That was mountain based, wasn't oh, it? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah.
0: So that maybe is the quickest connection that I could think of to a dominant world or religion having a like strong mountain parable story element, whatever that he, you know, you go up there to get wisdom. You go up there to get some kind of truth, you know, some kind of clarity.
1: I know that um when when I lived in Korea, I, I asked about like what the the purpose of a pagoda is, right they they're, they're mm-hmm. so tall and beautiful, but it's not like people live in them or anything, right? Yeah, and I was told that the reason for that is um the higher the building, which also includes like being atop a mountain. So if you build a pagoda yeah. on the top of a mountain, that's how close you are to God, okay. No, so it's like the highest point is the, the closest you'll be to God
0: in Re- this life. Reasonable. Do they not know the Tower of Babel story?
1: I don't know, because <laughs> this is like Buddhist stuff. So, Oh, I see. I see. I gotcha. Yeah. Different traditions, of
0: course. I just thought for a second, because isn't it, am I completely out of place? This is how I get canceled. But <laughs> is, is South Korea not pretty Christian dominant?
1: Um, right now they're actually 50-50. Oh wow! The, the last that I had checked is they're they're fifty percent uh, Buddhist and fifty percent. Oh okay. Um, Christian and they still like there's um Golden Week, which is based on like Buddha's birthday. Ah. So they still have like a national like holiday during for the week where they have like beautiful lanterns that they build and stuff cool. like that. The lantern yeah. festival, yeah.
0: Love them. That. that is always a anything with like flying kites. Not the same, but it's like a similar. Just looks nice. Yeah. Anyway. No, yeah, I think it's been my experience then is that the Korean, both descendants and immigrants and everything I've met in the States have just had Christian connections. So I was assuming way too broadly, but that makes sense that, yeah, that it's the basic logic of that. Yeah. Get to a high point, build up, try and have that connection or something, reach out that all, that all Mm -hmm. holds. We'll see what kind of knowledge they find in the mountains. I get the suspicion none, (laughs) or maybe there'll be some kind of story revelation, right? Yeah. Yeah. They'll finally have a chat or something. It wouldn't shock me if they actually never met in this book again. I'm this book is building me up to I'm feeling the seven book series in this first one where I'm just not expecting Mm -hmm. a lot of payoff, but I suppose we'll see if the story has any surprises for us or something. Let me throw in or jump into my motif. We'll see what you think of this one. I went with what I too thought was probably the most obvious one, which was trust and suspicion of others. And So Roland, we've now learned, let's start here kind of at the ending in terms of chronology and the story, but he has a pretty violent and abusive past. His mentor, whose name I forget, his friend is Cuthbert. What's What's his mentor's name? Teacher? Court? Court. I knew it was a C, but his friend was Cuthbert. Anyway, yeah, Court. So this man is clearly abusing them, trying to, you know, teach them hard and get them trained to be gunslingers, presumably or something. But yeah, he is being raised to be violent and sort of as maybe even amorally violent as you've well noted. So I think it holds that. Maybe just in his mind, he's not there to build relationships. He's meant to be alone. He's meant to hunt. He's meant to be violent or something or do these amoral killings. You know, who knows what the role of a gunslinger even is. (laughs) We just know he's meant to be a really efficient killer. So it makes sense that, of course, the story isn't laden with good quality relationships and interesting relationship dynamics. It's mostly him having these pretty curt interactions with others. But I thought then his trust of Brown, you know, he's initially suspicious, of course, but then ends up having kind of a nice respite there in the narrative, especially that's kind of after the town, um, the the massacre at, at, is it Tull or Hull? Tull, right? Tull. Yeah. Massacre there. So I thought that was kind of a nice reprieve. And it does show a little bit that he perhaps can at least be a neutral entity in a relationship. If not, it's not like, I don't think he trusts him deeply or anything. I don't think he revealed anything major to, to that, um, to Brown but it at least showed that he's willing to be a neutral party instead of just some violent chaos agent who just kind of rampages Mm -hmm. around and, and reacts, I guess maybe that is meant to be his role. And so I thought that scene kind of worked for me, especially coming off of the memory of Tull. I thought that was a nice little break. And I think so this is all to say, let me jump ahead for just a second. I, he's a bit gentler with Jake so far, right? He's a bit more understanding with him. I feel like he obviously gets a bit, he kind of gets saved by him too, almost directly. So maybe that's mm-hmm. part of it, but on page, let me pull some quotes for this. Cause I pulled some on page 100, when he's having a first interaction with him, he, they're getting the supplies and he says, he's kind of commanding him and he asks, is the, the man in black, and, and yes, is he a bad man? And I guess it depends on where you're standing, he says. I'm going to sleep. Boy looks back at him timidly. Can I sleep in the stable with you? Of course, is his response, right? It's not even curt, or it's not even abrupt, or it's not even hesitant or something. He wants the kid to stay safe, presumably, or stay with him, and, and have that protection or that comfort. And he answers his questions pretty honestly. He doesn't He doesn't refuse to respond, doesn't walk away. And so... Yeah, I don't. And then also when they're leaving, he allows him that 15 minute break. You know, he sees that he's getting a little worn down and maybe Mm -hmm. he's like, you know, we'll take a little bit of a break. Well, he's kind of a silent entity next to him, but it's he seems a little more understanding with him or a little more patient. And then, of course, final twist. And maybe my wording in the book is different than yours. One of the final things he ominously says in the narrative is he calls him a sacrifice. Is that how your book phrases it too? like right at the end? And so, Yeah, the boy, the sacrifice, his face innocent and very young in the light of their tiny fire, had fallen asleep over the, his beans. The gunslinger covered him with the horse blanket and then curled up to sleep himself. Again, a very tender scene for him, and he seems to have some, if not trust in Jake, at least tenderness, affection, and stuff. I don't, did it make any other references to him thinking of him as a sacrifice or maybe an allusion to or a reference foreshadowing to having to use him or take advantage of him? Is that the first time that came up?
1: I think so. The only other thing that's like a warning sign is that when the demon, uh, in the scene when the demon tells him that uh, when he's with the boy as Roland travels with the boy, mm-hmm. then um, the man in black has his soul in his back pocket. Right, right. Um, as a as a warning, so you know that Roland is eventually going to have to like make a decision about probably killing Jake or uh, killing okay. the Man in Black. Um, but yeah, there's. So he brings him. He like initially thinks of Jake as as a uh, as a trick, another one of the Man in Black's um tricks, and that's why he starts getting to know him because he's trying to figure out what the trick is, and then I think. By seeing the vulnerability of Jake, that's that's kind of like eating into him a little bit.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's a good pull, too, from the demon conversation. I forgot what they talked about. I just remember it was ominous and had some kind of, you know, foreshadowing about a conflict, future conflict to come. So mm-hmm. I think that's the... Yeah, that's an interesting take. And I suppose, then, trust and suspicion should be top of mind for Jake, who obviously is swept away, very lost, very confused, worried about losing his memory, right? Doesn't recall anything. And so he kind of mm-hmm. has to be trusting to the first competent person he meets, I would assume, or the first, yeah. you know, seemingly competent. has a, At least he has a goal, right? At least Roland has some kind of purpose and can take him somewhere, give him something to get up to instead of just being in this wasteland alone. So I, maybe it'll be some kind of... Maybe that's a false sense of trust again. I don't. I don't even think we as readers are meant to trust Roland yet, or something. We really don't know anything about his. <laughs> we just know he was raised violently to be a murderer of some kind.
1: Yeah, and that he like killed an entire town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then,
0: including the children. <laughs> right, right, and yeah, there was a lot of descriptions of many bullets entering and leaving heads and such. Yeah, you know, yeah. Him, him surveying the waste of it, and yeah, that I think wasn't that meant to be. It's because she. So she says the number. Let's just do a quick rundown of that scene to make sure I'm not dramatically misreading anything. She must have said the number because isn't she kind of possessed? There's a line about how she almost looked like she wants to die. So he almost mercy kills her, the woman he had slept with. Allie. Oh, Alice. Alice? Allie and Alice. It's – there's a uh, – because she's – doesn't she have the mark of some kind of mark on her that she had – his magic uh, the way i read it was the man in black must have done something to that man and that she activated it and so she became possessed too and so maybe the whole town was then a trap or like was laden with his magic so they they pounced or something or was it that the religious woman drummed up the do you think she just drummed up the mob or something
1: i think she drummed up the mob yeah because um alice did not she was being used as like a meat shield by Uh, the piano player, Sheb.
0: Okay, okay. I, for some reason... She's like,
1: don't shoot, don't shoot. And he's, uh, but his fingers had already started shooting,
0: so... Damn, I dramatically misread. I thought she said something about the number. I thought she said, like, I said the number, just kill me. Or, like, I I don't want to know, or... I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's another change. (laughs) I'm going to, we're going to do another pause so I can check this. Yeah, this is this might be a radical change. My goodness! On my page sixty-eight, it's let me let me read the narration here of this scene. Yeah, his reaction was automatic, instantaneous. Inbred—a good word choice mm-hmm. there. He whirled he whirled on his heels, his hands, and then yeah, it was Allie, and of course it had to be Allie coming at him with her face distorted, the scar a hellish purple in the light. And so mm-hmm. it's like he, she's been activated. He saw that she was held hostage. Yep. The distorted, grooming face of Sheb peered over her shoulder like a witch's familiar. So, yeah, some kind of possession or whatever. But then this is her dialogue in my book. Kill me, Roland. Kill me. I said the word 19. I said and he told me I can't bear it. That's, this, yeah. that's the dialogue in my book. And then it's. No,
1: mine says. He saw that she was held hostage. The distorted, grimacing face of Sheb peered over her shoulder like a witch's familiar. She was his shield and sacrifice. He saw it all, clear and shadowless in the frozen, deathless light of the sterile calm, and heard her. He's got me. Oh, Jesus. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Don't, don't, don't.
0: But Good the Lord. We've really stumbled upon yeah. something we did not want or intend to at all. <laughs> that's a completely yeah. different reading of the... Um, everything else leading up, by the way, was the same. The clear and shadowless, yeah. frozen, all that stuff. Sterile yeah, calm. Yeah, yeah. All yep. that's the same. Does, yep. does your next paragraph make a reference to high speech again?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He, yeah, was, the he last was the last of his breed. breed and it was
1: not only his mouth that knew the high speech.
0: yeah. Does your next one transition out by saying the hands were trained to give her what she wanted? Because it can't say that. Then what does yours say?
1: No. The guns beat their heavy atonal music into the air. Her mouth flapped and she sagged, and the guns fired again. But just bef- head snapped
0: back. And before that, though, coming out of her dialogue, what is your next line?
1: But the hands were trained.
0: Yeah, and mine were too. To give her what she wanted. Yours doesn't say to give her what she wanted. Nope. Okay. What, the, what what are we doing <laughs> what What have we stumbled into in this episode? This is like totally unexpected <laughs> and absolutely not planned in any way <laughs> they, oh, That course,
1: completely changes Alice's character, Alice's yeah. character oh
0: yeah, in a pretty profound way i mean the did the yeah. book, the book made it clear though throughout your book, I mean, that she was tempted to say it, that she was lured but was going to try and resist, or did, is it was that no. not, that was not played up at all? no not
1: at all like she was just the the whole purpose like the whole thing with Allie was that she withheld some information or she tried to withhold information from him but he was just like well then I won't sleep with you and then she's like okay let me tell you everything so like her whole thing was just like the yearning that came from within was because of her fear of menopause and so that's mm-hmm. like that's like her her driving sexual force or whatever and the reason that she clings to Roland so much and, and her need for roland interesting but there's no
0: like you didn't have the number 19 the the hesitancy
1: yeah there was there was nothing no mention of like 19 i don't know what the significance of that number is that's
0: a huge deal in the in my copy maybe he just added that whole plot line in when the the possessed the possessed person who the man in black brought back from the dead told her Mm -hmm. that the possessed man told her that I I now know what happens when you die or like I'm a master of death or something. I forget how the phrasing went. And he says to her that if you ever say the number 19 to me, I will tell you everything about being dead. I will explain to you. I will like reveal the secrets of death to you. So you never have to, so you should never say that to me unless you like want to know. And so the, a good chunk of the narrative is about how she won't be able to like, she's going to try her whole life to resist the temptation, but it's going to be, it's sort of like, once you have an idea suggested to you, like if, if someone says to you, picture, don't picture your mom naked. That's what you immediately do because it's, because you, the, the anti-suggestion is still the suggestion. And that, that's, I think that's even a paragraph in here or something about how that's. Okay, so that whole 19 thing just doesn't exist in your book.
1: Not at all. Like, her conversation huh. with Nort was like, he's like, I, I have to, I know that now that I've been touched by God and I've been given a second chance that I should stay away from the devil's weed, but I can't do it. And he starts rolling up um, the devil's weed and she like slaps it out of his hand and he like immediately like falls down on his knees huh. and he's like, I can't help it, I can't help it. So he's it. the
0: tempted one. Yeah. Whoa. Okay, very different. Should we just stop here? (laughs) And I'll send you. I'll I'll quick send you a totally legal, not PDF copy of my book or something. Anyway, (laughs) uh, we got way off track on the trust and suspicion motif, which is fine. I think we've settled more important things here. But yeah, that's how fascinating. I really don't know how to segue out of it. Do you have any questions about my copy?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um. I'm just wondering, like, what else is different. Uh, it, the second half is going to be crazy, I'm sure, as far as like the differences. If he's including yeah. like this number nineteen thing, it's like, what? Why is it the number nineteen? What is the significance of that? Is that going to show up again with
0: the man in black? Like, yeah, it might. It is- might. I could look up that quote. <laughs> I'll look it up after we're finished recording, and I'll we'll try and move the listeners along for now. But I can. I'll try and look up the origins of it or something. But it was a major part of her arc. So. The menopause thing also gets mentioned, by the way. Just briefly, though. It wasn't like a major motivator, but it does get mentioned. Okay, let's move to a couple more quick segments, because we've talked thoroughly and at length, you know, in a fun (laughs) way, of course, trying to unpack this, but let's at least try and get through some other segments. Let's do the Please Continue, Make It Stop, which is, again, self-explanatory, but we're each going to pick something to praise and one thing to critique about the work so far. And I think for both of us, we can just say, please stop changing so much about the book. Please keep it the same, (laughs) (laughs) If, if at all possible, so we have a coherent conversation. (laughs) conversation anyway now that one's out of the way amanda what's your please continue or uh, make it stop
1: Um, so I'll just go with my, my please continue, um, which is King's ability to set a mood or to build setting, to build characterization. Mm -hmm. He's just really great at all of those things. Yeah. Um, so I have, um, a couple of examples. So from my page 14, it says the gunslinger had followed the man in black across the desert for two months now across the endless, screamingly monotonous purgatorial wastes and had yet to find spore other than the hygienic sterile. Ideographs of the Man in Black's campfires. Mm -hmm. It was just, I mean, it's so desolate and just like almost hellish, but in in this like empty kind of way, which I thought was a a great description. And then um, also from page 30, when he walks into Tull. He says, "Um, a fool's chorus of half-stoned voices was rising in the final protracted lyric of Hey Jude as he entered the town proper. It was a dead sound, like the wind in the hollow of a rotted tree. This is also kind of foreshadowing as well. It's a dead sound. All these voices singing sound dead. Mm -hmm. And then the, the hollow of a rotted tree. They're all like rotten because of the influence of the man in black. So... I think that he does just a great job with kind of letting us know that when something negative is going to (laughs) happen.
0: Yeah, he goes for it. I think that was my please continue too, just worded differently. But yeah, he he wants so intensely to have this book have a strong mood of just direness of the world, kind of a Mm -hmm. dead air, but also a dire fading place that, and I think he pushes his prose pretty far. I think like a lot of authors who have a ten who have a vision or really want to go for something strong. I maybe it's too much at some points and I'll get to that too, but I just think he commits to it so much that it's there he wants to have a mood so thick in this book that no no paragraph goes without some kind of commentary, right? No I don't know, no description goes unwasted or something like that. And there's a couple yeah. of quotes I pulled too. One early on from page four, he's describing at this point, I believe let me find this. Oh, this is the uh, maybe this description will be different from yours, but this is some introduction to him and his character. It says he was not a mani. Did by the way, did that noun come up in your book? M a m a n n i. Nope. Yeah, this is a religious group. By the way, you should probably know about mani holy man. Because it says, had he been a mani holy man, he might not have been th- ever been thirsty. He could have washed his own body dehydrate with clinical detached attention, watering its crevices and in dark inner hollows only when his logic told him he must be done. He was not a mani, however, nor a follower of the man Jesus and considered himself in no way holy. He was just an ordinary pilgrim, in other words, and all he could say with real certainty was that he was thirsty. And so I just use that as a quick example of how he's, he's just so committed to the language of this world and doesn't hold your hand through it. Um, though there are also, I think you already pulled great quotes about just sort of the imagery, sort of the, yeah, the intensity of the desert setting. Like you establish, it's pretty much just a Western and it's kind of spare intensity and like the brutality of the world and everything. And let's get into, I pulled some other quotes quick for some descriptions of the man in black, because this is the quote about him performing the resurrection, I guess is what we'll say. Is that what you'd call it? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's describe this quickly. I'll show you a wonder," he cried at them. They but they only watched him like obedient children taken to see a magician in whom they had grown too old to believe. The man in black sprang forward, and Aunt Mill drew away from him. He grinned fiercely and slapped her broad belly. A short, unwitting cackle was forced out of her, and the man in black threw back his head. "It's better, isn't it?" Aunt Aunt Mill uh, cackled again. Suddenly broke into sobs and fled blindly through the doors. And then this is the description later the man in black stood over nort grinning down at him the wind howled and shrieked and thrummed something large struck the side of the building hard enough to make it shake and then bounced away one of the men at the bar tore himself free and headed for some quieter locale moving in great grotesque strides thunder racketed the sky with a sound like some god coughing And then later, Sheb laughed loon-like and hunched over. He began to cough up phlegm, huge sticky gobs of it, and let fly. The man in black roared approval and pounded him on the back. Sheb grinned, and then later he's jumping over him. And I believe the description that hit me the most was that he... Yeah, here it is. The Man in Black suddenly lunged across the body, jackknifing over it in a smooth arc. It was pretty, like a flash of water. He caught himself on his hands, sprang to his feet in a twist, grinning, and went over again. And then there's somebody applauding, and that says he slobbered a hand across his mouth and made for the door, one of the watchers. Anyway, it's just Mm -hmm. a creepy scene, and him doing these really unpredictable behaviors and people not knowing how to act, not knowing how to respond. And I just think in that moment of course and in some of the other descriptions and moments it's just going for it it's willing to commit to a intense mood and set the scene right and just doesn't hold back i think which i've admired
1: yeah it makes the the people seem like on the verge of madness and like obviously very easily influenced so yeah the the following murder (laughs) of the town it's like well they're they're pretty easily brainwashed. which
0: honestly for even saying a murder of a town could have been a bit more grotesque he doesn't dive Mm -hmm. into the gore not not that much it's he's pretty blatant or blunt rather blunt about describing you know i think even at some point he says something like shot her in the head or shot someone five times and it's so it's pretty clear but it doesn't he doesn't take liberties with the gore so right i think that's fine yeah that's a good point yeah how about for a make it stop for you
1: yeah. Oh, and um, just real quick, when oh, of the Moni that's in your book, mm-hmm. it's called the Kef in mine.
0: Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's That was it's something you mentioned earlier. Change the name. I don't yeah. know if mine said Kef yet, but it said Moni a few times.
1: Yeah, he had progressed through the Kef over many years and had reached the fifth level, which is all about the, the ability to... Yeah. Earthly wants, I guess. Maybe
0: it, maybe it cut the references to levels. I think I was just remembering earlier that it said he could have resisted, but or wasn't or something anyway. Yeah. How about for your make it stop?
1: Um, I would just say for me, it's, it's just the sex, like the, the constant feelings of, of lust, which it doesn't bother me because I'm a prude or anything. It, it's just that I don't understand quite yet. Like the, the purpose, how does it fit in with the narrative yet? does Is it just for, like, creating this character who's, like, constantly lusting after women? But why? Mm-hmm. Is it because of the barren nature of the world that he's in? Is it is it the a result of like the kind of life that he leads as a gunslinger? Like, I just, I guess until I know further, like whether it does play into like more important pieces of his character, I just don't know why there's just so much like discussion of like with, with Alice, like th- there's so much sex with that. And then with the, the preacher who is impregnated by the, the man in black, like the lust that he feels for her. I'm just like, what is the point of that? It's yeah just a lot of yeah. stuff and there's a lot of sensual language which i really don't mind like he when he describes the mountain on page 129 um he says they could see the rise of the desert in the foothills the first naked slopes the bedrock bursting through the skin of the earth and sullen so an eroded triumph that's pretty like sensual mm-hmm. um yeah. and that kind of language i'm like yeah that makes sense because he's surrounded by this barren ugly place and then he sees this like fertile area that and yeah. it's like a sense of relief so that makes sense to me but then like the sex scenes i'm just like is it there are, also yeah. related to that i'm not sure
0: i actually found so i agree with you 100 percent, but i want to clarify my views a little different i thought the sex scenes were really spare because it's usually just him mm. and Alice sharing a couple words and then there's no description of the act at least again who knows what our books share in common at this point but it's th- there's <laughs> yeah. no it's, it's not it doesn't attempt to describe the act much more of like their conversation around it he though it, it's it, can any woman escape this story without having a really odd description of them in a sexual manner and like you said i think the one time i'd allow it maybe allowed it's not like i'm a writer or editor for this but the the priestess or the woman who is supposed to be kind of mind controlling people right and she's this undue influence to have her power be mixed up in her sexual appeal i could take her leave the description i pulled for that is that when he goes to encounters her in her hut it says she let the lazy smile complete her thought of having a kid with him and then at the same time she gestured with her huge mountainous thighs they stretched beneath her garment like purple marble slabs. The effect was dizzying, which, yeah, I mean, I guess she's supposed to be pretty ample. That's something that he makes pretty clear. But then he also, and please tell me you're reading on this one, when he goes up to her, what does he do with his guns in your scene? How would you define it when he's confronting her?
1: He, like, puts the, the barrel of the gun, like... Up her vagina yeah, and is d- like threatening I was to just, shoot. Yeah, yeah.
0: I was gonna say, I'm pretty sure he penetrates her with it, which would yeah. be, I mean, it, then it's a it's a, at least a sexual assault scene or a rape scene. I don't know the. I, I'll be honest, I'm not even sure the differences in you know technical whatever terms. I, it's it's one or both. I don't I don't know, but it's it's mm-hmm. something for sure. And yeah, rammed the barrel of the gun forward. He could feel the terrifying wind sucked into her lungs more than he could hear it. He her hands beat at his head. And so that was how I read it as well. And then so I don't it, it's it doesn't seem like attraction but then there's the scene about her like thighs kind of mesmerizing him or something and I, mm-hmm. yeah it was a it was a rough scene to read. I think up until that point in the scene when he really he took it there i thought like okay her power is just he found her attractive or at least there's some kind of sexual component to this maybe like you said he's alone maybe it's just the barrenness of the world or something but yeah i wasn't even sure if my reading on that next part was correct but that's i don't know It, it yeah kind of an odd scene don't know if it's necessary and it just felt a little brutal
1: yeah (laughs) um I, <laughs> yeah very brutal yeah
0: yeah i've i've got another couple that are i in in a way this feels weird to say, but like almost more egregious by their unnecessary by the unnecessariness of them, that scene, if you want to argue that scene's necessary to set up that he's, you know, that he's intense and violent and brutal and now rapist and whatever, like, I guess that's his character. I get, at least it's doing something there, but there are other descriptions that to me do actually literally nothing like to the point of they're leering or creepy or something, or just like a bored author The the most egregious ones that I found, I found two. One of them is with Kennerling's kids, right? I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Did you notice these? The daughter? Yeah.
1: Yeah, when he's, like, holding her breast in his hand.
0: Yeah, and it says, this is the description. The girl looked at him bovinely, which, uh, choice. Her breast thrust with overripe grandeur at the wash-faded shirt she wore. One thumb sought the haven of her mouth with dreamlike slowness. And it was just kind of like, I don't, what are, what are we doing? Like, why, what's the, <laughs> I get that his family's supposed to seem maybe a little off kilter or maybe he is, he's kind of running it in a, I don't know, maybe he's some kind of dominating figure or maybe he's doing something untoward or strange. Like the, the Kenner Lee father is definitely a creepy, unpredictable figure as well. But I just, those mm-hmm. descriptions don't do much for me. They feel more like the author is leering than a character needs to be portraying it in this way or i feel like i get more about the author from that writing than about than the the world the yeah
1: well the bovine thing like i i thought that was pretty telling as far as like world building but yeah yeah, the, yeah, that's a choice yeah but the other part of the description i was like okay whatever <laughs> overripe
0: like i don't i don't know can we get away from describing breasts in, with food comparisons or whatever especially fruit <laughs> I don't know. It just, yeah, it felt a little cliched or a little bit heavy handed. It's just unnecessary. Like I said, I don't know who or what that's for to me though, mm-hmm. without even a remote question. And again, I get that the scene, which should we just call it a rape scene? I don't know. You should tag in on that. I suppose. but like, I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn. I think that's what it was, but I get he was, it was a physical threat for the child, but also a clearly unwanted act. I'm not really sure how to, I also don't want to speak. I just, I don't know. I'm not really sure what to call it
1: it's it's confusing and I think it's meant to be kind of confusing too because like she says that like the the man in black had said that Roland would want her and she's right. like ha ha it doesn't matter you can, you can lay with me if you want to but it's too late because I'm already going to have the man in black's baby and then she's purposefully opened her legs like that in order to like further tempt him and like laugh in his face.
0: Yeah it's something um, like the it, it. she did because she did say that we could sleep together and so i guess it's the threat what she cares about is the child that's and she even taunts right. him with the child saying nothing we will do will affect this child the child is what it is now so you know come on or let's sleep together or however she phrases it so it did seem like the act it was the threat of violence that that's what kind of triggered her and made her fight and and all of that but i still right. don't i it's again just kind of a mess of a scene i'm not I don't know. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, I think it's meant to be like disturbing
0: like that. <laughs> right. Coming out of it, all I really took away was that she was, you know, fully committed to the man in black or something, or they had some kind of spiritual connection. And that, of course, Roland is just like, a, not a sadist or something, but just like a ruthless, um, totally committed to whatever cause he's after. And we really don't know what that cause is, <laughs> but just sort of right. a brutal and ruthless person who will stop at nothing and is a, you know quiet about it anyway one final one i have to get this out here before we do final segments or something just because i thought of all of the descriptions that dealt with sex direct or otherwise this was to me the most wasteful and totally pointless one it's when he murders somebody and kills this is in the slaughter it says she was, this is on Match page 70, by the way. She was large and fat and known to the patrons of Sheb's as Aunt Mill. So it's Aunt Mill. The gunslinger blew her backwards and she landed in a whorish sprawl. Her skirt rucked up between her thighs. Do we really need that description of a person you just murdered? like horish for a murder victim who didn't it's just that kind of like she has no autonomy there's no it's not like it's a scene at least with the um, priest the priestess or priest at least she has there's a scene there's some dy- dynamism there's at least they're there's something happening, right? Maybe we can't unpack mm-hmm. it or maybe we can't describe it well enough or something. But and I'll I'll take that. But a sentence like that where it's just like you could any adjective or none and you went with whorish sprawl, like that's completely pointless. It's uncalled for. It's just kinda like, what are what are we doing? What what is the point of that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's
0: I don't know. That felt a little out of in, in poor taste. But and so I, th- my make it stop is similar. It's just kind of let's, can we get some women to escape this narrative without some violence, sexual description being thrust upon them or something? It just feels unnecessary. And I, we could take or leave the scene again with the priest. I think I, again, I'm not sure if we've unpacked it well enough. I ha- I have my notions in it or of it, but some of the other ones just felt like cast off unnecessary going, you know, going way too far with something that really just didn't even need to be there. So
1: yeah, we also know um, Roland alludes to the fact that he kills his mom, right? He just drops oh, that yeah. in there at some point, yeah. um, because of her relationship with um, what? Did, what did he call with Martin? Um, right. So this could all be a reflection of how he views women mm-hmm. too. Yeah, like the the character Roland in, in because of what happened with his mom
0: for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So my make it stop similar to yours. Just I think. And, you know, the police continue, continue to go for it tonally in terms of Mm -hmm. the setting and characters and just the mood of the whole thing. It's it's kind of emptiness. And what's the word I'm looking for? Not. What is it like vacant or dead? Barren. Barrenness. Yeah. Oh, there it is. I was going to say it has a D. Desolate. Perfect. It is sort of (laughs) meant to be this desolate intense place but i don't know i think he's pushed it too far a couple times for me and it it does seemingly always come back to sex and women so just a trend Mm. (laughs) to notice keep an eye on that one for now anyway let's move to our final segment of this now bloated episode but you know when you have (laughs) when you have two different copies of a book what can you do We could be here for another 10 hours at this rate. Let's move to our final predictions. We do like to end any fiction episodes with a big, bold prediction for the back half since we are truly stopped halfway and have not read beyond it. Amanda, why don't you Mm -hmm. throw us in there with um, your big, bold prediction for the back half?
1: Um, Roland says that he believes the man in black is slowing down on purpose. He wants Roland to catch up to him. Mm -hmm. And in tall Kennerly mentioned that some thought the other side of the mountains was the end of the world so my prediction is um that it is the end of the world and the man in black is going to try to trick roland in some way um so possibly like i don't know what the end of the world is meant to be but there's obviously also other worlds right because jake comes from another world so he might try to force roland into another world or something Mm -hmm. i can see that yeah
0: and maybe in this world the end of the world doesn't mean death then it means you get to go somewhere else (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah. to another it's like a boundary right not an ending Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
0: yeah totally that's a great prediction i've got an obvious one and some specific ones my obvious prediction is that i don't think this book is going to answer many questions and i'm not even sure my (laughs) prediction would be it's really not even going to be satisfying I this book has really bad series itis to me, just in the way it's presenting things and the pace at which it's constructing a story. Like, I, perhaps it will reach the end of the story, and I'll clearly learn some things about what the men in black symbolized and their relationship, what it meant. I just, given the page count that's left, I don't have a lot of hope for that. I think it'll probably end with a lot more questions than answers, and that's that's all fair enough. I've enjoyed some of the Western stuff, and I'm a little intrigued by the mysteries. I think now that Jake's been introduced, I have a million more questions than I did before, right? Mm-hmm. So this one feels pretty blatant. So that's my lazy prediction. But for now, a plot-based one. I really think it, the choice, just because of some of the descriptions Jake has had in that sacrifice reference that really seemed out of place or off to me, not in a bad way. It just surprised me that he viewed him that way. There's going to be some kind of choice involving the boy then. He's either going to maybe have to save himself or the boy. Maybe he'll have to make a selfless or se- selfish choice. At this point, uh, why wouldn't he make the selfish one? There's nothing about... I perhaps he'll grow attached to the boy and Jake over time. But for now, my prediction would be that he'll, this just doesn't seem like a robust enough narrative to have this redemption arc for Roland be the thing in the back half. Like if he goes undergo some profound personal and emotional growth, I guess I'd be shocked given again, the word count left and like the pace of the story so far, my prediction yeah. then would be that he sacrifices the boy or something. Maybe he uses the kid to get to the man in black. Maybe it's bargaining or something or maybe just like the boy is his access point to get back into the real world. Maybe he follows the man in black there, right. To, to our version of earth, New York city. And so I just Mm -hmm. have to think that Jake's going to be involved in some plot choice like that, that either, again, he's going to have to sacrifice the boy or choose in some way. And that, you know, he'll be involved in that. But it's, if it builds up to some kind of self-sacrifice thing for Roland, I would just be very surprised. You know, he's been amiable with some folks and has had some, you know, friendly ish, neutral conversation. But his relentlessness with this mission is just, it seems pretty uncompromising. So we'll see if the second half of the story changes my mind on that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. He's, uh, at this point, I, I think that he definitely would sacrifice Jake.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, that word choice well, having been thrown him. in there, that it, it's called some <laughs> yeah. things into question, some motivations and such. Okay. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this one? Any other points to make? Should I again send you my copy of this book? <laughs> um, I do
1: have a question for you. Does your copy have pictures in it?
0: Zero pictures, just the cover.
1: Interesting. Mine has um, pictures for each of the the parts. At
0: oh the wow! And okay. Anything intriguing?
1: Um, it's just like the the first picture is a picture of uh, what you would assume is either Roland or Brown with the um, with Zoltan on oh, yeah. his shoulder. Yeah, and the big t for the man in black for the first sentence The the t is like humongous and from it is hanging a the bottom of a skull oh okay i could see and that. um yeah so there's that i'm trying to quickly find the other there it is and then for the way station it's um a picture of this like the way station it's like broken mm-hmm. down and stuff and jake on the side as a shadow okay But then like the first letter, the a nursery rhyme had been playing itself, is the big letter A, and then these two open hands, like the, the hands that hold like the immaculate heart. Okay. Immaculate, the, yeah, that that kind of stance. Oh, there.
0: fascinating. Yeah, yeah, the I wasn't familiar with the nursery rhyme that he was kind of mumbling to himself, using it as a bit of a chant. Oh, did, have you not seen My Fair Lady? I don't think so. No.
1: I just I just
0: assumed like most things in this book that it's some strange a timeless allusion to something on earth and he's clearly not an earth so it's just kind of like how do you know all these things you know it was like the bird Zoltan whispered some expression like that to some idiom that it's just sort of yeah like where where is this and when is this anyway Mm -hmm. okay that's helpful thanks for filling me in on those mine just has the cover art no other art so far but I'll have to be contented with my instead encyclopedic references that you don't get. Yeah. You know, the con, yeah. the sign, whatnot. <laughs> All right. Any other final thoughts before we close up?
1: Uh, No, I'm
0: good. Excellent. Well, as I said, we do book clubs every Friday. That is our normal podcast schedule, so check us out next Friday as we wrap up this book. And who knows how many editions we'll discover between now and then. Could be be (laughs) dozens. (laughs) Perhaps it'll be a 15-hour episode. Who knows? If you enjoyed us, again, we are the Lightly Literary Podcast, and we thank you so much for listening. Um, Again, we'd ask kindly that you rate and review us on any podcast platform of your choice, tell friends and family, spread the word, etc. If this book has not entertained you or you're just interested in what we've got coming up, we do have other books chosen in order. I am not prepared for the third book today because I have not chatted with Amanda about it, but we do have two coming up that we know of, which, you know, that's four weeks of stuff. I think that's good. (laughs) Anyway, those books in order are Field Notes from a Catastrophe, Man, Nature, and Climate Change by Elizabeth Colbert, or Colbert. Uh, or Colbert, probably. Anyway, and then also Burnt Shadows by Camilla Sh- Shamsie. So those are our next two books coming up. So if you want to get ahead and start reading some things or look into them, do some cursory Googling and Wikipedia searching, that is what we've got coming up. Um, next week, as I mentioned, Book Club Part 2 will be spoiling the whole book. Goodness knows what we'll cover by then. And we thank you again for listening. And as always, we'll see you between the pages.